This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. It's good to be back. Some of you might know me because I've been here before, but it hasn't been very often lately. But uh, I'm Barry Halterman. I'm the one-time associate pastor, kind of fill-in preacher now. I work at the Academy of the New Church where I'm a chaplain and a religion department head for a lot of cool high school kids. So special shout out to the ANC students at the back. Yeah, excellent, excellent. There, got to play to the home crowd, get them on my side. Special welcome to the internet audience. It's been a cold lately. Some of you have found out that, you know what? Sometimes it's nice to just sit home and watch this thing at home, which is good. I'm glad. And those of you who aren't even close, even better, because you can't get here. So it's good that you're part of this. It's a growing community of people who believe that religion, spirituality, church, whatever you want to call it, is something that's got to be lived. We're all seeking to be part of God's kingdom right here on earth. At this church in specific, we use the new church theology that comes from Emanuel Swedenborg that is fully Christian and openly universal, trying to be part of that kingdom. And the people around here, this is why I love being part of it, is we're trying to live that every single day. You're all trying to live that, and that's good, that Monday morning church idea. The theme we're working on right now for these last couple of weeks, and we're going to be moving forward on today, is that that idea that everybody has a crazy family. There's something messed up in everybody's family, whether it's your family of origin, your family of choice, your family of whatever, the people you hang out with. There are always issues going on, always. And sometimes we like to get in these little things and think that nobody else is having the same problems I do, but people have problems. Families are dysfunctional. That's the way it is. And hopefully we can build on that idea and try to bring you a little bit more peace with that situation. Chuck has been talking the last couple of weeks about the the theme of embracing where you are and expanding your idea of family. And I want to build on that today a little bit more, but really, in some ways, maybe be a little bit more serious to try to get at what happens when there's real crises in your family. And there's different types of crises that might strike a family, from health concerns to addiction to death to lots of things that cause strife and dysfunction in a family. And sometimes it's just people who are having issues and that you have real struggle with those people within your family group. Uh, Your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, whoever. You have real struggles with them. So the hope today is to help, help you find a little bit of peace with that situation. Hopefully give you some tools to move forward in it. But really the goal, and I think the goal of religion for me is to help me find some peace with where I am so that I can move forward. So that's my lofty goal for today, and that's what Chuck tasked me with. He said, well, I'm hoping that this will be one of those services that I can just hand out to everybody and say, hey, this is going to be really useful to you. I mean, that's the goal every Sunday, but thanks, Chuck. You go sit on a boat in the Florida Keys, and I'll bring intense spirituality and enlightenment to everyone. Good, good trade-off. Thanks, Chuck. Um, all right, so... It's trying to get in the flow here that expand, embrace, expand, and we're trying to work on trust and some of the peace that can come with the situation you're in. Let's get into the flow of some potential family issues. Uh, Could you go to the video clip? I need help. Through some sort of an accident, my company shortened their accounts. The bank examiner got there today. I've got to raise $8,000 immediately. Oh, that's what the reporters wanted to talk to you about. The reporters? Yes, they called me up from your building and loan. Oh, there's a man over there from the DA's office, too, who's looking for you. Please help me, Mr. Potter. Help me, won't you, please? 
Can't you see what it means to my family? I'll pay any sort of a bonus on the loan, any interest. If you still want the building and loan, hey, I'm... George, I'm, could it possibly be there's a slight discrepancy in the books? No, sir, there's nothing wrong with the books. I've just misplaced $8,000. I can't find it anywhere. You misplaced $8,000? Yes, sir. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I, I didn't want the publicity. Harry's homecoming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're going to believe that one. What have you been doing, George? Um, playing the market with the company's money? No, sir, no, sir, I haven't. Oh, is it a woman, then? Uh, you know, it's all over town that you've been giving money to Violet Bick. What? <laughs> Not that it makes any difference to me, but why do you come to me? Why don't you go to Sam Wainwright and ask him for the money? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. Well, what about all your other friends? Well, they don't have that kind of money, Mr. Potter. You know that. You're the only one in town that can help me. <laughs> I've suddenly become quite important. <laughs> what kind of security would I have, George? You got any stocks? No, sir. Bonds? Real estate? Collateral of any kind? I have some life insurance. $15,000 policy. Yes. Uh, how much is your equity in it? $500. $500? And you asked me to lend you 8000 Look at him. You. you used to be so cocky. You were going to go out and conquer the world. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. What are you but a warped, frustrated young man? Miserable little clerk crawling in here on your hands and knees and begging for help. No securities, no stocks, no bonds, nothing but a miserable little $500 equity and a life insurance policy. <laughs> You're worth more dead than alive. Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so much and ask them to let you have 8000 You know why? Because they run you out of town on a rail. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, George, since the uh, state examiner is still here. As a stockholder of the building and loan, I'm going to swear out a warrant for your arrest. Misappropriation of funds, manipulation, malfeasance. All right, George. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. You can't hide in a little town like this. <laughs> yeah, Bill, this is Potter.
classic clip from a classic movie about someone who is experiencing some financial crisis. And that's just one of the many triggers that happens in our families. There could be a financial crisis. And, and if you look at the, he goes and he tries to get some help. But look what happens when he tries to get the help. Think of how he's treated by the old man, the banker in the movie, Potter. Potter doesn't show compassion, doesn't show understanding, doesn't even really listen to where George Bailey, uh, Jimmy Stewart, where he's coming from. He's already got a story in his head about what happens or what needs to happen. If you know the movie, he's kind of angry at George anyway, because he's got some revenge on him because George says some things against him. But he treats him with scorn, with revenge. He blames George. He comes up with these different scenarios as to why he might be having these crises. He shames him. A lot of things that, that Potter the banker Potter shows about how sometimes we treat others in that situation. And really, it's just all a story that Potter's making up. He's not listening. He's not even trying to understand where George Bailey's coming from. And uh, Chuck and I thought that would be a good illustration. Just to, just look at where we are as families and the kind of things that trigger it. So now what happens if George Bailey and that isn't actually coming for help and he's really messed up? It wasn't just an honest mistake. If you know the movie, it's really... It's not even really his fault. Something happens, and he doesn't know how to deal with it, and he loses the money, or the money's lost. But what happens if it really is his fault? What if he went and did do something illegal with that money? How would we respond? What happens if it looks like, you know, he deserved it? He brought this on himself. On himself. What is our response to that? What is our response to the crises when it seems like it's not somebody's fault versus when it is somebody's fault? We have a lot of different reactions around it. So one of the things I also wanted to do was show you a, uh, the, oh, show me the way to God. Good. So that's where he ends up. Show me the way to God. That's where I'm hoping to go uh, with the rest of this talk. When the crises happen, whatever it is, whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's a health crisis, whether it's uh, a real problem like addiction that's coming from somebody, our reactions can be a little bit different. They're crises though. Everybody has these. There's an interesting story in the Bible that I want to go to next. And it takes place about Noah. And most of you know, or if you've heard of the Bible stories, you probably have heard of Noah and an ark. That's just like a universal story. Noah has an ark, and he puts all the animals on it. Well, what's lesser known is Noah, after the world starts again, as the legend goes, Noah is down, and he's trying to reestablish life on earth. So I want to go to that uh, passage next about Noah. It says, And Noah began to be a farmer. And he planted a vineyard, and then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and he became uncovered, or some translations say he became naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, he's one of the sons of Noah, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So if you see the image there, we have the one son who is pointing, is laughing, seeing the misfortune of his father, seeing the messed up state that he's in, and he goes out and he tells his brother. He wants to get brothers, he wants to get them in on the fun, in on the shame, in on the blame, in the just, this guy, look at, look at he deserves this. The other two brothers, though, they grab a blanket. It says they don't even look at him. 
They walk in backwards. So you can picture the two of them here with carrying a blanket backwards and laying it on and trying to help him out without going to shame, without going to blame, just trying to be there to help. So it's a good story, a part of that legend that most people don't even know that, that after part. But it's a good story about, so what do we do when we see people in crisis? There's the ones that we think we might be on their side more, like George Bailey. And then there's the others who maybe we don't feel like we should be on their side, like Noah in this instance. He brought it on himself. He deserves whatever he gets from this. So how do we handle that? And I wanted to go into, at the beginning of this talk, more of the, the things that really don't help in those situations. In my work as chaplain, as a pastor in the pastoral field for a while, and taking different um, approaches to crisis management and, and helping others in general, um, there's a lot of things out there, but you can kind of come at some things that we all probably would agree with, that these are bad ideas. They do not help. So if we could go to the list of some things that really don't help in situations like this. The first is just to deny it, to say there's nothing wrong. And everybody's probably experienced this. You, you just don't want to deal with it, so you pretend nothing really bad is happening. So we tend to say, like, um, you know, this isn't happening, or this isn't happening to me, or it's not really what it seems like, or something. We try to make some excuse to not have to deal with it at all. Um, and part of that also is like, my family is perfect. This can't be happening to my family. The myth of perfection. It's like, by the way, nobody else's family's perfect. You need to know that right away. And that second one, that leads into the second one too, to, to make comparisons. We try to compare our situation to other people's situations. And one of them is just simply that everybody else's family is better than mine. This doesn't happen to them. And so then that, instead of helping, that makes us feel worse. Like, my family's the most messed up family. Well, it's not a really a competition. Everybody's got their own issues. Everybody's issues are their issues. They're real. They're important. They are their issues, and they're powerful to them. So comparing to how someone else is doing it, it really won't help. Everybody experiences crisis. Everybody experiences conflict their own way. It's their way of doing it. And that's incredibly important to try to compare and say, well, this is my way versus this is your way. It really doesn't help. So getting rid of the denial, you've got to start to learn to accept. And comparing yourself to others really isn't helpful. It actually takes you away from being there, doing what you need to do. Another one is shame. And you saw that in the story of Noah as well. Shaming, and uh, Potter does it as well. Making the person feel bad or making fun of where they are. How is that possibly going to help? I know maybe that makes us feel a little better. It's like, well, at least I'm not in the stupid situation they're in. And, uh, wow, I'm not nearly as dumb as them. I would never let them happen. What an idiot. You know, we say stuff like that to shame, and I guess it makes us feel better, but how is that actually helping the person? Another one is to blame. It's their fault. We like to blame others for people's problems. Or maybe you're the type that actually blames yourself. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. Well, how does that actually help empower you to move forward to emphasize that it's my fault? You, we always have a, we'll contribute in some ways to the issues that go on in our lives. But to blame really is paralyzing. That blame and shame game is really just a paralyzing game. It doesn't help empower you to move forward. Another part of the blame that a lot of people tend to do in crisis situations or mis dysfunctional situations, they also blame God. It's like God did this to us. I don't view God as doing anything bad to anybody ever. 
If you want to blame God, you can blame God for having, giving you free will, for giving other people free will, for giving a world where messed up things can happen in the first place. But to blame God for those messed up things, to me, is just like, that, that's not the reality of what God is, at least as I understand God. That's not how it works. So that blame, blaming others, blaming yourself, blaming God, just adds to a, an unhealthy way of approaching things. Another one is just negativity. This always happens to me. This will never change. Negativity is, the one, is another one of those things that paralyzes. It gets you stuck where you are rather than empowering you to move forward. So people in crisis mode, you know, they, when they get into that situation where they can't see beyond the negativity and only the negative is in front of them, we get stuck. And lastly is what the, the simple phrase is, when you're trying to help, maybe you realize you do need help that, or you can help, um, the, the phrase in our minds is, well, they just need to do it my way. They just need to listen to me. And this is kind of that God complex that we sometimes think we have is we have all the answers. We know the perfect solutions. We know exactly what's wrong with them and exactly how to get out of it. Now, maybe we've had some similar experience. It's good. Maybe we can bring them in. But to think that we actually fix anybody or that we have all the answers for them is, is going beyond a boundary that we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on with them. Everybody experiences things a little bit differently. So for the first part of this talk, I just wanted to help you get in that idea of what isn't going to work. We've got the George Bailey example. We've got the Noah and his sons example. You can bring up your own personal examples. I'm sure you have some in your head right now about where dysfunctional family situations exist. And these kind of things, they'll come up constantly. We go there. We try to deny. We go into comparison mode. We go into the shame-blame game. We do all of this stuff. What I'd like to invite you to do now is to say these are all, or to see that these are all illusions. They are not going to help. And we'll go into those little illusions a lot. We'll go into naive thinking about things. But what I want you to do right now is, and you can put up the next slide, um, for the second half, if anybody wants to sh- can text me, I'm risking this, I'm doing the Chuck thing, you can text me. I would like some audience participation. I would do this in my classes, right? You know, brainstorm, give me some ideas. To get stuck in the negativity and to get stuck in the illusions and get stuck in the bad ways, hopefully you can see that that's not going to work. One of the ways that starts to work is uh, an example of hope. So if you focus on not where you are, that's important, we'll talk about where you are, but hope. Where do you want this to be? What would this look like? What would be a hope for a stuck family situation? And you don't have to reveal any deep personal family secret, but what is the hope that you would like in your family? How would you like to see it be better? What do you think is possible for your family situation that you're working on? So you can text me on that. If I can invite the band to come out and do the next song. Um, Think about it a little. Listen to the song. If anything comes up that you want to share about, something that would be really helpful and good for you, um, text me and I'll bring it up in the second half of this talk. You guys are good at this. This thing's buzzing off the hook back here. So this is probably what I need to do. I get pretty good feedback from my students in class. We use whiteboards, maybe smartboard or something. But probably if I just say, will you text it to me? Because they're probably already trying to sneak to be on their phones anyway. If I say, well, you just text me, I'll probably get even better answers, all right? So maybe I'll try that one. Um, Great answers. Great thoughts. I can't even share them all. There were so many. But let me give you a little taste of what you guys are saying. And uh, 
the idea is to really to focus on what you think is possible, what you want, is a good thing. To put that in your mind. That'll help you think positively, a goal to go for. And one that is possible, because the ones I'm reading, these things do seem possible to me. I'm sure sometimes they seem impossible to you, but it's, a, it's great stuff. Um, let's just read to give you a taste. Um, peace, prosperity, and freedom. Peace and security. Understanding others have different perspectives. That we can be worry-free about basic needs, food, shelter, water. That we all remember to breathe first and then act with kindness. Interesting. I was going to bring up breathing in just a sec. Because I never breathe. People know this. When I talk, I just keep going and I forget to breathe. Breathing's good. Joy. I hope we can all sit together at the dinner table one day. Just sit together at the dinner table one day. I hope that one day my family will find a way to work out our issues and not fight about them. Hmm. You and me. Be present for each other. Love and empathy. Honest, open communication. To listen to each other with love and caring kindness. I hope that each person in the difficult situation feels the underlying love that exists between them and that they feel heard. Choose to be friends. For siblings to stay connected to each other despite being adult orphans. If everyone could give up being right. I hope my dad, my dad and mom to finally have the peace of not working all the time anymore. A legacy of love and happiness. Understanding that conflict will occur and that resolution doesn't mean someone is right and that they are right, that they are right for themselves. So great stuff. And there's even more there. But hopes. What do we want? What, what, what is possible? What, what, do we, what would we like to see in our families? And some of those seem just like the basic love and communication and kindness. And we, we stress. We feel bad when it's not there. We worry when it's not there. We feel like other people have it better than we do. But it's good things to want to have that connection with family, whether it's your family of origin, your family of choice, whatever it is. Some things that, that I think can help, and from experience, from some of the things that I've gained from people, from seminars, whatever, some of the things that go into this, and I think you'll find these are pretty universal as well. First is to pause and breathe. A biblical phrase that sticks with me all the time is, be still and know that I am God. So in any crisis situation, any difficult situation, be still and know that I am God. That's what the pause is, to breathe in that there is a God. Be still, know that there's a God. And breathing is an image that comes up a lot in the Bible as well. You go right to the book of Genesis, and it says, and God breathed the breath of life, and we became human. There's something about just pausing taking that big breath and uh, realizing there is a God, I need to take a break from what's going on, take a break from my thoughts, take a break from my emotions, take a break from whatever's coming in from all of my outside senses. Just take a break. Pause. Breathe. It doesn't seem like it's a solution, but I, there's so much behind the spiritual traditions that say, pause, breathe differently, just slow down, and new thoughts can come, new, new feelings can come, new ways of doing things can come. 
with that is accepting. Um, any thought that says this shouldn't be, this isn't really happening, isn't going to help you. We have to accept the situation as it is. If you want to know how to get anywhere in life, you want, you want to go on a map, a simple analogy. You want to get someplace and you're asking somebody how to get to hope, how to get to a din- nice dinner, how to get to peace and, and happiness. Well, you need to know where you're starting. What is the starting point? Just like if you're going someplace on a map, you look at the map, I want to go to New York City. Well, great, there it is on the map. Well, where am I right now? Where am I starting from? Well, I'm starting from suburban Philadelphia, and I need to know that. So wherever you are, you need to know where you are, and you need to accept it. I'm not there yet. I'm not in some other place. I'm here, and I need how to get from here to there. So accepting is crucial. There's an interesting passage in the New Church Theology that really gets the idea that when things are going, oh, and this speaks especially to the idea of this shouldn't be happening. Well, I don't know what should or shouldn't be happening. And a lot of things I think shouldn't happen, but the bottom line is they are happening. And in general, I think a philosophy about why things are happening, a good one to think about, is that love brings up what is opposite to itself for the purpose of healing and change. And there's this interesting passage in the theology of the New Church Theology that talks about chaos and how things that are put together badly, they need to be broken apart. And in certain family situations, I think you can see this, that stuff was, it, it's just, it's unfolding the way it's unfolding because it was messed up and it's going to look worse before it gets better because there's a messed up connection. Either that person has something messed up in their lives that needs to be in a better place or we have something messed up between us. And the simple uh, idea says, before anything is restored to order, it's very common for everything to be reduced, first of all, to a state of confusion resembling chaos so that things that are not compatible may be separated from one another. And once these have been separated, the Lord arranges them into order. So it's a tough thing to think about or, or to you don't even really want to hope for this, but sometimes they will get worse because it's bad. It doesn't fit together right. It doesn't fit together in their head. It doesn't fit together in their life. It doesn't fit together in your head or your life. It's going to cause friction. It's going to cause a chaos situation. And it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Hopefully after those things get broken apart and we can see them for what they really are, we can start to work on them and put them back together in healthy ways with God's help, with the Lord's help. So accepting, just where are we? This is where we are. Crisis really happens because change needs to take place. It's not that crisis shouldn't happen, it's crisis is happening. Let's work from there. Now the key idea is supporting. Supporting always works. I don't know any situation where supporting doesn't work. Now that doesn't mean everybody always wants our support, but supporting works. If there's any opening to support, it helps. And that supporting really needs to be unconditional and it needs to be non-judgmental. It really needs to come from a place of compassion. Compassion works. Now, if the person is resisting to try to resist the compassion, you want to help out the situation, obviously they're not open and that compassion really has to, um, to be received as part of it. But that doesn't mean you stop being compassionate. That doesn't mean you stop being there, that you stop hoping for something to be better and giving that support that you can. So accepting, crucial, it's necessary. Supporting always works. Another one is listening. We like to go into telling mode all the time. And I'm a teacher. I like to tell. I think I have good ideas. I like to tell people what I think is right. I like to tell people what's going on. And it is very hard to go from that mode in situations to listening where people are. 
I'm better at it as a counsel, in counseling situations. I'm better at listening to where people are. So I, I understand what this is like. Listening is crucial. We don't know, even if we think we know what's going on with the other person, we don't actually know. We're not in their heads. We love to think we're mind readers. We love to think we know what's going on. But we don't, unless we let them tell us. So listening always works. Ask, don't tell. Again, non-judgmental listening. Exploring solutions with them. Anybody notice anything about that up on the board? Ah, you saw that. You know, this was a funny little thing. When I was typing solutions, I wrote solutions. And I was about to correct it, and I said, you know what? I like that. That actually sounds pretty cool. We need solutions. We don't just need solutions. We need solutions. So how do you explore solutions with people? This is, again, not giving them our solution. This is the mistake we all like to do. We like to think that we know exactly what they need. Well, better counseling, better help, better support is exploring solutions with them, trying to find out where their soul is, why they are feeling where they are, what they think will help them. So exploring the solutions with, emphasizing that with them, not doing stuff to them. And I think as a person of faith, believing in God, that that's actually what God does with us. I don't think he ever does stuff to us. I think he always does stuff with us. Thinking positively, some people hate it when you got to think more positive when you tell them stuff like that. But negativity is, it's crushing. And everybody knows it's crushing. So just say, hey, you need to think more positively. Well, that doesn't really help. But to know that to think positively really when the person is ready for it, that's really the only way it's going to change. You can't change anybody else. You can't change them and make them think positively. But if you take a positive approach to the situation, to think that answers can happen, that solutions can happen, well, that's a good thing. So thinking positively means not ignoring the dysfunction that's going on, but thinking that there is a way. And this is what I got out with, to, was trying to get you to help with, with that hope. Thinking positively about something. Being hopeful. Faith for me really is just simply trusting in God. That's a quote from New Church Theology as well. Faith is just trust. What do you trust in? And with trust comes hope. Hope that something can be better. Can, is there a God? Is there a God that can help lead you and help you to get to a better place? This means avoiding all blame, avoiding blaming of others, avoiding blaming of yourself, avoiding the negative about the situations, thinking about how can this become better? Here's where it is. How can we move it forward? Not saying that this will never change, this can't change, but maybe something about it can. Maybe not everything can change, but maybe something about it can change. And the one thing that really can change, perhaps the easiest in some ways, is our own attitude about the situation we can actually be empowered to change our own attitude about how we're looking at something. And lastly, um, instead of having the God complex that we can change things, I really think change only comes when you let God be God. If there's a God, as I believe there is, that God knows what needs to happen, knows how to work with you, knows how to work with the situation, knows how to work with everybody there, works in everyone's freedom, the most frustrating thing in the world and the most beautiful thing in the world is human freedom, human free will. We can't force people to accept our beliefs. We can't accept, force people to accept a new way of doing things that we think is right. We, God can't ex- force us to do that. We can't force them to accept God in, in a new way of frame of mind. We can't force anything. 
But if we can say, look, I don't have the answers, but there is a God who does, this can help us move forward. Going back to the idea of um, Noah and his sons, there's those who like to point out the faults, but then there's those who are showing that kind of compassion, carrying the blanket backwards on people in difficult situations, realizing that things happen, bad stuff happens, what can we do to make it better? Letting God be God, I think, really is the key. And when you look at the letting God be God to me means um, the idea of realizing that you don't have all power in the situation. Ultimately, you have no power in the situation. God has power in the situation to change, but you are powerless. You choose to accept that there is a God and you get hope in the fact that there is a God who can help you, who can work in you, with you, for you, through you. That's faith to me, and that's where it shows up in my life, just that hope. I can't fix it. I'm powerless. God can. There is hope. There is a way that I know that there's a God and that there's order. And even though in this world it doesn't always work perfectly, it can. It can get better. And ultimately, it's a decision to say, and now I'm going to try to do this as best as I can and learn whatever I can about how God works in situations and try to be part of that. It's interesting that this, this idea that's in my head is also the same three steps that I've, is part of the 12-step stuff. You are powerless over the situation. There is a God who can help you make a decision to let God help you. It's fascinating how that works out, that the most powerful organization for change in the world has the, that simple beginning to their whole philosophy. So my goal in this talk this morning is to help you feel a little bit more at peace, if possible, with your situation accept what's going on in the situation where you are. It is what it is for, it seems like no reason, but it is what it is because the world is messed up, because people are messed up, because we're messed up. It just is what it is. Start there. Moving from that acceptance, we can move on to realize that support. Support anybody you can who's going through the situation. Support them in any way that you can. Don't give up on the situation, even if there's resistance from you. Always be willing and ready to give that support. Keep listening. Always keep listening. Don't think you have all the answers. Explore solutions with people. Let God be God. Um, Think positively and let God be God. Um, I want to go to the last side that kind of sums it all up for me. And this is something... Another one of these things where as I was growing as a young adult and exploring spirituality and learning more about what this new church stuff was that I had it from my background, um, looking into world religions, trying to figure out the big picture of God, and I came across this thing called the serenity prayer. And the serenity prayer, again, it's also used in um, 12-step groups, just kind of spoke to me about the, the mentality that needs to go into any dysfunctional situation. And that's simply to realize that there's some things you absolutely cannot change. You can't change other people. They all have to change themselves. All you can do is really work with God to change yourself. Work with the Lord as you know him to change yourself. That's all you can really do. Get the courage to change the things that you can actually change. And again, the change isn't about me changing them. It's about me changing myself, my attitude, me changing some of the conditions around the situation to make it better. So the serenity to accept the things that I can't change, the courage to change the things that I can change, and really the wisdom to know the difference. And that's just going to come with more and more life experience. We're going to try and force change on situations that we can't change all the time. We do it because we think it shouldn't be happening. We think we have the answers. 
But ultimately, we can't change people. God alone can change them when they're willing to open up to that idea of change and willing to do something differently themselves. We can be agents for that. We can be helpers in that. We can be companions on their way. We can help explore situations with them that might help it change. We can ask for help. We can do a lot of things, but we can't do the change. And the courage to actually keep working to change the things that we can. Um, it's, it's hard. We like to give up because it's difficult. It's hard to keep saying, Lord, please empower me. Help me. Give me some strength. Give me the courage to do whatever I can to approach the situation in a different way. To approach the situation with more compassion, with more listening, with more kindness, with more hope. Help me to do that. And ultimately, just give me some wisdom to figure this whole thing out. So, the end of my crazy family. Will this lead to the end of it? Nothing leads to the end of the craziness. But hopefully it helps. To give you a new way of thinking about things, a new mindset about when going through struggles. We all struggle. We're all in this together. Everybody's struggles are unique to them. Everybody has a slightly different answer, a slightly different need. Be there for the people. Think different ways about your life. And above all, I think if if you can just remember one thing out of this talk, think that there are, you can't change other people. You can be empowered with faith in God to help and the courage to change some things. And you can actually learn which things you can change and which you can't. So I'd like to invite you all now to join with me in prayer. I'm going to say a short prayer to try to help the, bring a little more of the Lord's presence into our lives, a little more of this hope in. After that, there's a, some time for some silent prayer where you can say the Lord's Prayer as you know it. Um, just have a quiet time by yourself. Say your own individual prayer. Whatever it is that you feel you need at this time. And then after that, we'll close with a, uh, a song that just realizes, you know what? We are all just kind of regular people just trying to go through our lives. And uh, we need each other when we do that. So you want to join in prayer? Oh, Lord God, Jesus Christ, who came into this world for us, who modeled for us the way to live, the way to be compassionate to others, the way to show us how to love. You are God who truly knows everything that we go through. You've had the experiences that we've had. You've shared an earthly experience with us. We ask that you can help us to see the things that we cannot change in our lives, to try to make peace with those things that we can't change. We ask for that strength and that courage to change the things that we can change in our lives. To know that the more we let you in, the more we try to follow your ways, the more we cease to do what's wrong and start to do what's right in your order, the more you can actually empower us and give us that courage to change the things inside of ourselves. And ultimately, Lord, we really pray for that wisdom to know what it is, what the difference is. What can we change? What can't we change? And give us strength to do that. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 